I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast. With many eyes on the trial accusing Harvard of discriminating against Asian American applicants, Natasha Waraku is also watching closely. As a professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, she studies issues of race, college admissions, and elite universities. The question at hand is bigger than who gets in and who doesn't, but one that puts affirmative action on trial, she says. We talked recently about this case and what revealing the secret sauce in Harvard's selection process tells us about whether college admissions can ever be fair. With Harvard's acceptance rate hovering at 4%, I asked Natasha why we all seem to be paying such close attention to this case. The reason that people outside of Harvard care so much about Harvard is because it has so much symbolic value. Almost everybody knows about Harvard or the name Harvard. It carries with it this idea of meritocracy. If you work really hard in high school, you get good grades, you have a chance to go to Harvard. We're so invested in these ideas. And I think in the United States in particular, we have these beliefs in opportunity and social mobility, and Harvard is wrapped up in that. And so someone who's been studying a lot of these issues for many, many years, looking at affirmative action, looking at the thoughts going on with students in higher education. What are you looking for or trying to pay close attention to about this case? What I'm sort of really interested in this case is, in particular, how the plaintiff, you know, in the lawyer's opening statement, he says, affirmative action is not on trial here. But it clearly is. There's this slippery slope between is there discrimination towards Asian Americans to we should never consider race, even as a plus factor for underrepresented groups that have been historically excluded and who, for a lot of reasons, we would want to have a quorum of underrepresented groups on campus. And so how the plaintiff intends to do that and whether they'll be effective or not, I think is what I'm really looking at. I think one of the things that is coming out that I think has been useful is a little bit of the revealing of the secret sauce, right? right? Harvard has been very private about how it selects students. There's been a sort of opening of that black box a little bit, and I think in a way that is hopefully going to lead to some productive conversations about what the university is trying to do through its admissions process. Demystifying the college admissions process at Harvard and how you get in really is a reflection of more elite universities. This is happening not just at Harvard, but probably at most elite universities. Or Yeah, absolutely. One of the great books about college admissions is Mitchell Stevens' book, Creating a Class. He was a college admissions officer at a liberal arts college that is selective, but not the absolute top tier. And he talks about a very similar process to what we're hearing about in the Harvard case. So, and you know, these institutions are, they're competitors. So they're all looking at each other and doing very similar things. And in some sense, not wanting to stray too far from what all the other kinds of institutions are doing. And in some ways, because Harvard is, you know, one of the top, if not the top, it's important what it does, because what Harvard does is often mimicked by other universities that are trying to gain in status. So you just actually mentioned this about putting affirmative action on trial. Do you think that that's what this case is really about? Yeah, it's absolutely what this case is about. Edward Blum, who's behind this case, was also behind the Fisher versus Texas case 
that was decided three years ago. And in that case, there was a white plaintiff who sued the university because she didn't get in and because of affirmative action. And he actually was seeking out plaintiffs for that case at that time. And she turned out to be the daughter of a friend of his, and he convinced her to be the kind of public face of this case. That case went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and he lost. And so he sort of rebounded and started this organization, Students for Fair Admissions. You know, probably because I study higher education and I'm Asian American myself, I, for a while, was getting a lot of these ads from their organization saying, do you feel like you were unfairly denied admission to Harvard? And there would be an Asian American woman in the picture looking kind of forlorn. He was seeking plaintiffs for a lawsuit. He's sued not just Harvard. He's putting forward lawsuits at multiple places. And I think what he realized was that he could take this question of whether Asian Americans are experiencing racial discrimination in admissions and use that as a sort of segue into all kinds of race-based admissions, right? His logic is, well, because the university considers race, they are limiting the number of Asian Americans admitted to the university and unfairly boosting the numbers of Black, Latinx, and Native American students on these campuses. Now, of course, these are two very different issues, right? Because there are very good reasons to give a boost to African-American, Latinx, and Native American applicants. The rationale that's stood up in court time and time again has been this diversity argument that, you know, we need diverse voices on campus, so we need to take race into consideration in order to give a boost to underrepresented groups. There are also historical reasons to include them in terms of historical discrimination, exclusion, the ongoing impact of racial inequality in American society that is separate from class inequality. Class is also important. So that's one issue. The second issue is, is there some kind of discrimination towards Asian Americans? And these are two very different issues, right? But I think he's thinking that if I can convince the court of the Asian American question, then I can sort of use that to say, okay, you can't look at race at all. But there's nothing that tells me that in his history that he actually cares about Asian Americans and discrimination towards Asian Americans. Interesting. You know, as you were talking, I kept thinking... Is there even a way to have diverse student populations while balancing kind of the other businesses or what you will of higher education? There's different programs. You need to have enough seats for that. You can't put too many people in the same program. There's a lot of different things going on. So I'm wondering if there's a way to really balance those things. Yeah. I think what's unique to Harvard and a small number of elites is they get so many more applicants than they have space for. And, you know, if you could imagine being an 18-year-old applying to Harvard, you've got to be a pretty amazing student to even think that you might have a shot and bother applying and paying that fee or asking for that fee to be waived. So you're getting a very select group of young people already. And then among those, you know, now the admin rate is like 5%. One in 20 is getting in. So Harvard gets its pick of so many young, amazing young people in the United States. And so I think From that perspective, there are more people qualified, whatever we mean by qualified, who could do well, who could make contributions, who could handle the academics, than there is space for at Harvard, right? And so how you select students has to be related to what's your purpose? What is the purpose of the university? What is it trying to do? And that's what we have to think about. One of the things that I saw pop up today in the Atlantic was about sports. It was kind of this other take in a totally different direction about 
college sports being the affirmative action of white people. You know, when people start from the idea that Harvard is selecting the best, quote unquote, best young people in the country, people start questioning, well, what does it mean to be the best? And who deserves this high status, the best education? Who deserves that, right? And of course, the unspoken follow-on is who doesn't deserve it or who deserves it more than others? And when we think of it like that, it's easy to get caught up in like, well, why is this person better than someone else? Should someone who has athletic skill, like is that a form of merit that the university should consider, right? Is that a fair way to select a student? These two people are both stellar, or this student is a tiny bit less stellar, but is an amazing athlete. Should that person get in? Or the soccer team needs a left forward. This person's an amazing uh, left forward and a decent student. So is that a fair way to select? Even if there's someone else who's like a right forward is a better Mm -hmm. student, but this team doesn't need that. Is that fair? I think all of this is sort of assuming that we're selecting, quote unquote, the best young people. But I think the reality is universities are responding to a lot of different interests around the university, right? To the coaches, to the development team. I mean, legacy admissions is another one that people often call into question. There are so many different goals that university admissions is trying to address that it's not just about cherry picking those quote unquote best people, because I would argue like, how do you measure that, right? And the plaintiff in this case is trying to say, well, if you measure the quote unquote best as SAT scores and grade point averages, then Asian Americans should get in at higher rates. But the university counters that, well, that's not what we're doing here. So I think it's that sort of secret sauce and what are we doing? And it's so coveted and it's so important to people because, again, Harvard has all this symbolic value that there are all these contestations over it. So do you think the college admissions process can ever truly be fair? I mean, it depends how you define fair. I question, well, what does it mean to be a fair system, especially in an unequal society, right? We know that Young people in the United States have different levels of opportunity to shine, to, you know, demonstrate their athletic skills, their academic skills, to develop those skills. So it depends how you define fair. Is fair selecting the people with the best test scores, who are the best athletes, or is it people who have overcome the most obstacles? Is it people who demonstrate some kind of grit? I don't think there's any agreement in our society, nor do I think that there can be any kind of agreement on a one best way. And so, you know, I've actually argued in some places that, well, maybe what we need to do is say that there is a minimum standard of what have you, academics, leadership, whatever, and we want to make sure we have provision for whatever those concerns are the university has, racial diversity, athletics, whatever, and then have a lottery because that will really lay bare like it is kind of a lottery right now, right? One in 20. Can you really select one in 20? I mean, how well can we predict who's going to be a leader in the future? Who's going to have an impact on society? At some point, we have to say it could be any of these people. And then when you have a lottery, I think it really it changes the meaning of that selection in a way that I think is really helpful is to say that there are all these other amazing people. They just didn't get lucky the way that people who got into Harvard are lucky. Fascinating idea. That'd be really interesting. (laughs) Natasha Waraku is an associate professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. 
She is the author of The Diversity Bargain and Other Dilemmas of Race, Admissions, and Meritocracy at Elite Universities. I'm Jill Anderson. This is the Harvard EdCast, produced by the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for listening.